This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, last week we talked about the ways in which Christ chooses to reveal himself. We looked at the three mysteries of of the epiphany, of uh, the one that we always associate with Epiphany, right? You've got the the adoration of the Magi, then you've got the baptism of the Lord, which we now have split out and separate on an, on another day, on a, most often the Sunday following, and then there used to be this third mystery that we looked at, and this was the mystery of the wedding at Cana. And while we're talking about mysteries, I wanted to uh, to delve a little bit more into this question of what do we mean as Catholics when we talk about mystery. Uh, and and this is a conversation I've been waiting to have for quite some time, and it just it just worked out that now, now is the acceptable time. Uh, we're talking with Father Harrison Eyre, who's got a brand new book published by the Daughters of St. Paul on Pauline Books and Media called Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. And when you hear language like that in a title, your first thought is, oh my goodness, this is going to be an <laughs> academic level book. This is the thing. Don't we, scare them. I'm, well, I'm not going, we're, we're, we're going to get there. You know, we hear this kind of language though, and, yeah. and we immediately say, oh, oh, that's, that's not for me. I, I could never, I could never figure this out. The truth of the matter is, is that the mysteries of our faith are for all of us. And you mentioned in the introduction of the book that sometimes our intellect can get in the way of really understanding and appropriating the mystery. I associate this with what I call the Scooby-Doo syndrome, right? We were, all, those of us who were raised on Scooby-Doo, we know that there has to be an answer for every unexplained phenomenon. There's got to be some mm-hmm. logical explanation. It's somebody's fault. We can figure it out and point to it, solve the mystery, and and then and then once we've solved the mystery, we can live in security because we don't have this thing bugging us anymore. Well, this this is what um, this is a problem for us as Christians because it reframes mystery in a, in a way that is not consistent with the way that the church speaks about it, mm-hmm. uh, and so much so that we don't even really realize where it is that we have strayed away from the church's usage. So I, I think of um, going out on a hike. Right. If you're mm-hmm. in a flat space where there's no landmark, which is kind of where I grew up out in Texas, um, if you go and start walking in a direction, you're going to, because one leg is stronger than the other or, or something about our sense of direction, you're going to end up straying from the, the course and eventually end up walking in a circle mm-hmm. unless you have that point to reorient yourself against. And I think that as a society and as, as, Catholics in the West, we have lost our landmark and mm-hmm. moved away from the language that the church has traditionally used when it talks about these mysteries and begun to understand the language of the church in the worldview uh, that surrounds us rather than, mm-hmm. than understanding it in the way that the church wants to reveal it to us and present it to us. Mm-hmm. You talk about all this in your book, in the introduction, uh, and you give it the term uh, scientism. Talk to us a little bit about the problem that you see and maybe the yeah. first steps into the sacramental worldview. Yeah. So, and just as a little aside quickly is, um, funny thing enough is I, I'm actually horrible at titling things. My brain just doesn't go there. And so 
uh, I'm very grateful the sisters and, and my editorial staff came up with the title of the book after reading it, you know, so um, it can sound very, it does sound beautiful and lofty and, and it is, but it, it's also, this is coming from people who sometimes aren't necessarily professional theologians mm-hmm. after reading the book saying, this is, this is what we think the, the essence of the book is. And, and this is the whole point of the, is yeah, so the scientism is this reductionism, right? It reduces our, our knowing to what's in front of us, to what's observable, to what's divisible, um, what you can add on to and subtract from. It's, it, and it reduces anything to what's experimental, right? So only what's in front of me, only what's perceptible is the only thing that's real. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, there's nothing greater than this, right? So in the end, you and I, we're just, we're just, biological animals neurons right? firing and firing energy. right yeah. exactly exactly there's no spiritual capacity to us because the spiritual and the invisible in the mode of scientism is fundamentally unreal mm-hmm. right well, and this this yeah. really infects i think our understanding of eucharist even um, mm-hmm. because we think if it's real and the church talks about the real presence of christ uh and the the christ is actually present there uh, if it's real, it has to be physical, and and I can test that and tell that it's not physically Jesus. Therefore, exactly it, missing the entire point of the mystery of that sacrament. Yeah, well, I got to be careful that I go too much on a tangent there, but because <laughs> I, I I agree, I think actually I, I think a lot of times the way we f- we focus on the Eucharist actually falls into a physicalism, mm-hmm. even as Catholics, um, where we forget that it's the sacramental presence. It's the real sacramental presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, but it's not local, right? Right. That it, it's there's yeah. a there's a fantastic book, um, and we've we've had him on the show some time ago by Dr. Lawrence Feingold out of Kenrick Glennon mm-hmm. Seminary, uh, all about basically it's a systematic theology on the Eucharist, and the thing that we talked about was that question of how is Christ present quantitative uh, qualitatively, but not quantitatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's such. A, how is Christ present in in a very real way without being physically tangibly present? Right, exactly. And and this is the thing. So reality, the real for us in, in modernity is is only what's tangible without it signifying something more or deeper. Mm-hmm. It doesn't point to anything more. It is whatever is in front of you. That's all there is, and there's nothing more. And so it reduce it removes the notions of meaning. It, it removes uh, the sense of the transcendent. And it and I would argue it actually goes fundamentally against our, our pretty basic experiences of things. Um, but it, it's it's a worldview we're raised in. And it I think it's it's really gotten in the way of our ability to appreciate the larger sacramental vision of the of the Christian faith that one of the one of the big things I try to write about in the book, and actually I, I kind of avoid in many ways talking about the quote unquote seven sacraments, because the whole point of, of the book is to say, well, no, sacramentality is a way to be mm-hmm. as a Christian. It imbues this, you have this, you have the seven sacraments, but they are part of the logic of a, of a larger sacramental vision of the church, whereby we see that the physical mediates and makes present something spiritual and invisible and it's really there mm-hmm. and 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 that the spiritual can and does work through the physical and that these things are not opposed to each other 
Let, let's see if this is yeah. an, you might correct me here, but let's see if this is an accurate uh, analogy. You and I live really very close together, but we're separated right. by a border. Right. And if, and, and I just happen to know that if I, if I go uh, up North and cross that border, um, all of a sudden my money's no good there. Uh, that there is a whole different framework yeah. for the transmission of value right. from yeah. f- from where I am to where you are. And right. so the sacraments, the seven sacraments, if I'm correct here, are the currency within the framework that is sacramentality. Yeah. That's so right. So sacramentality yeah. is, is a whole way of exchange and of transmission of value that we just happen to have the these seven sacraments that work within right. that framework. Absolutely. No, I think that's, a, I think it's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> so we're living in the sacramental uh, reality, yeah. yes. but we don't perceive it. And, and we in the West have a really hard time wrapping right. our minds around the exchange rate, if we're going to keep right. that analogy. <laughs> so help us grasp the exchange rate here. So I think, there's um there is a there is a real barrier for us today and uh i write up i have a whole chapter on the problem of modernism uh and it, it is it, interestingly enough from people i've been talking to marie for so far it's been their favorite chapter of the book so far because i attempt to kind of lay out in an accessible way the kind of intellectual spiritual and cultural barriers we are kind of raised in that make it very difficult to appreciate the total Christian vision of life that scripture, tradition, revelation make present to us in the church, through the church. And what modernism is, is that it, it my, my kind of pithy way that I've stolen from uh, one of my seminary professors is it's that it's the denial of mediation. So what do I mean by this? Modernism says that if the spiritual exists, it cannot in any way, shape, or form interact with the material and the historical, etc. So God might exist, fine. You can be a deist, but God is in no way, shape, or form interactive with our world. Now, we may not recognize just how dangerous that actually becomes if you start to extend its logic. If this is true, then there could really be no fall because... We haven't really rebelled against God. We have no soul. We have nothing that makes us more than just a biological animal. Um, there is no miracles because God can't intervene in this reality. There can be no incarnation because God cannot take on the flesh. There can be no sacraments because at best they become uh, symbols of meaning if you will, right? And, and that's the best, at best of what they can be. But they're not something effective that works Christ's grace in our lives. This modernism is actually the worldview we are largely raised in. And so you see it often. Maybe, maybe you might think, well, you know, why do I have to go to confession mm-hmm. if I can just tell God my sins immediately? Like, so there's no mediation. There's no mediator in between things here. Um, or you see it in people who tend to not think of the importance of places, time, smells, bells, all those things as ways by which God makes himself present to us. And we have really fallen into this mentality and it's the real barrier to, to the exchange. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes the way we approach sacraments in the church can fall more into a modernist notion unintentionally, 
than in a sacramental notion. And, and it also becomes a barrier of evangelization because we, we wonder, well, why are my kids not going to church or why, um, why, you know, or we just, we have our own personal doubts in living the faith today because we're so surrounded by a culture that seems antithetical to Christianity. And so the whole chapter is meant to kind of give a toolbox to try and understand a bit of the air we breathe, because we have to accept that that is the air we breathe, mm-hmm. but that the church lives in that same airspace and, and that uh, uh, she's trying to give us a new air to breathe in the midst of this. But it's, it's hard when you feel alone and isolated and all that. Um, yeah, so we need to be able to confront that. We need to be able to recognize that modernism, how we fall into it and how others fall into it. So then it can allow for a real discussion with people because I think uh, one of the arguments I make in that chapter on modernism is the fact that we are actually sacramental creatures by nature. Yes. Like, like you and I right now, you can hear me because of physical uh, vibrations of the airway hitting, hitting our eardrums, right? But you can't read my mind. <laughs> I can only communicate what's in my mind through sound waves. That's something, something physical words sounds is making present something invisible well and you are not physically present to me right now either. right yes the, yes yeah exactly kind of, in a kind of tech technologically sacramental way um right you know i, I there, there's a large part of this that that we don't give much thought to our worldview to shaping mm-hmm. how we think we, we i think make the assumption that because we think because we are having these thoughts uh that that that's that's what there is i am interpreting mm-hmm. the world around me based on what i see feel think touch and mm-hmm. we don't realize that before we even get to that processing place we're mm-hmm. already putting it through a lens of a worldview we're, mm-hmm. we're already making assumptions just based on our environment so right the whole idea of uh of optical illusions is that our brain, without us even thinking about it, makes interpretive decisions of what we're seeing and presents to us something that's not real. And we think, hey, right. that's really cool. Look at all these ways that we can trick ourselves. But we never take that to the next point and say, oh, um, my brain is also filling in other things that I'm not right. aware of. And I need to yeah. take the time to form myself to get a good, good understanding of what is real not necessarily just that which I can sense. Right. And so if you're just joining us, we're talking today with Father Harrison Eyre about his new book, Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview, available right now on uh, Pauline Books and Media from the Daughters of St. Paul. So how do we go about, now that we've pointed out this mm-hmm. this presence of that mm-hmm. kind of modernist creep mm-hmm. that's entering into mm-hmm. our worldview, how do we go about recognizing that and then reshaping and reforming our worldview to begin to appropriate and understand the sacramental life that the church right. is presenting to us? Well I, th- well, I think the first step is just what I was just talking about around this, recognizing that we are just sacramental creatures by nature. We know things through our senses. This, this, is, this is just how we function in the world. Um, I think taking that kind of basic human experience element starts to open up our heart to this reality because, and then we stop seeing sacraments and sacramentality as magic, which I think sometimes an outsider can see it as. And it can even sometimes be warped as by Catholics, you know, um, sometimes like a, a piety that can fall into superstition or something like that. Right. 
Um, but that fundamental human experience of the fact that I just know things through what I see, smell, touch, you know, a taste, et cetera, that that's the first place that's sacramentality. Meaning is being mediated to me through something physical. Something, and, and that that's how I engage with the world. I think secondly, um, it's, start, it, it's also that encounter with beauty, I think becomes a, a, a quick entry point into this experience of sacramentality. Because if we've ever reflected on anything beautiful that we've encountered in our lives, we recognize an experience that brings us outside of ourselves to something greater. I mentioned in the book, my experience of going to Gaudi's Sagrada Familia, which is the most beautiful church I've ever been to in my life. More beautiful than St. Peter's bar none. Like it's mm. just, it was, it was, it, I spent an entire day there and I couldn't leave. It was an experience and encounter with God through something created and something beautiful that, I've yet to find anything comparable to in my life. So stuff like that, or going, as you were mentioning earlier, like going for a walk in nature, right? You see a beautiful sunset, all these things bring us to an encounter and experience of something more that we see that there is a meaning and there is a, there is meaning in life, which is another, it's a whole other issue, right? We, we also lack the sense of meaning, but that there is a meaning and that there is something that wants to speak to us and wants to address us personally but then more broadly than within the Christian vision, because like these become kind of the um, human ground points to show that when God's revealing and making himself known to us, he's using what he's created to speak to us so that we start with these human things because that's what God starts with. And then from there, we then start to see that sacramentality maybe isn't so hocus pocus or, or whatever, but it's actually the very structure of being human and that the church is the place where I enter into being the most human to being the most human because it's the place where that sacramental vision is lived in a graced way so this means seeing the church as essential to faith um, because it is the universal sacrament of salvation Vatican II says right it is the place of encounter that it is the place of faith it is where it is, the church is what gives me the ability to have faith, to see things as Jesus sees them. Um, but then it also, and then it allows us to then start to see that everything about my life is then immersed in Christ. And, and it's because like, well, this is, this is perhaps, I think one of, I think sometimes sacramentality is something that we might even be familiar with a bit, but one of the, I think the key differences that I try to bring about in the book is this idea that sacramentality is not just, encountering God in these varied ways through life and through sacraments, through church, through liturgy, et cetera, but that my whole being through baptism participates in the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. There is never a moment where I am separated from him by virtue of my baptism. I am immersed into the person of Jesus through baptism. And therefore I live my life in him. Like it is, it's, it's one of Paul's, I think I mentioned in the book, like I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's like 84 times Paul taught, uses the phrase in Christ. It's one of his most popular phrases. And so it becomes this kind of moment of conversion and recognition that to be a Christian means to live my life in Christ, that I am in him more than I am in my rectory right now, or that you're in your studio right now. That, that is a deeper reality than anything that I encounter day to day whereby then everything I encounter, everything I do 
everyone I encounter becomes an opportunity for living out Christian discipleship. And thus, the Christian life is not just something we do on Sundays. It is really something that is lived day in and day out because Christ is really and truly with us. And that helps me see that my humanity, my actions, my speech, my works of charity, it's my, um, et cetera, are all means by which I can make Christ present to others and Christ makes himself present to me. In these ways, I think we can start to live that more broader vision of sacramentality. So being in Christ and trying to, as uh, there's this this book that I read even before I was Catholic uh, by a, a monk named Brother Lawrence, mm-hmm. uh, at maybe a friar, uh, I should know this by now, uh, called pra- <laughs> Practicing the Presence of God. And it's this idea yeah. of of in every moment, whether we're doing, you know, the dishes or whether we're out uh, running errands or, or whether we're in prayer, that we recognize at every moment that, that Christ is present to us. Um, yeah. I, th- this almost feels like it's a step further than that. Not only is Christ present to us, uh, but going to this, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? It's like we're kind of stuck with him. We're in Christ at this mm-hmm. moment. Whether we want to be or not, whether we want our, our better natures to prevail or whether we want to just let the person who cut us off have it, right? Right, yeah. That, that we're in Christ, and how do we then let that inform us and seep into us and, and reform us uh, into the, the people he's called us to be? That Going back to that, that uh, famous phrase that the glory of God is man fully alive, mm-hmm. that to be most fully alive is to live in an awareness of this sacramental presence. Uh, This participation in the life of Christ is the constant living out in us of his life, death, and resurrection. And therefore, because of this, there will be times where we flee, where we need his paschal mystery to save us through things like confession, um, repentance, penance, etc. There will be points where in that running away, we don't recognize it and we desperately need him to save us. And so he runs out to us himself through that same Paschal mystery. But that in every action I do, whether it's for him or against him, it is really him living out his life, death and resurrection in me so that I might be saved. And not just, and then by allow, and then, so it means having this kind of heart of receptivity to receive the gift he wants to give. And that's maybe the hardest part of all this, because your question, I think, is, is fair. It's like, what do we do? Like, how, what are the, we, I mean, these are, these are the questions we always like to know. What are the five steps, right? <laughs> give, give me the, the five steps. Give me, give me, give me, give me the secret map, you know? Just the facts, uh, just the facts. Just give me the facts. I really, I really try to avoid that stuff a bit in the book uh, because I think in the West, we've lost this notion of receptivity. And I have a whole chapter called the Marian stance, right? Which Mary's heart, her whole way of being gives us the fundamental path of being a Christian in the world. But it means a receptivity and a humility and an openness of heart that isn't like a pacifism because receptivity is a very kind of taboo word almost nowadays. It's an act of receptivity. It's constantly open to receiving whatever God wants to give. And that's what we need more of in the Christian tradition and in the Christian West, especially I would say 
that's what we need is and then when we have this it it allows for humility of heart to develop whereby i allow god to speak on his terms mm-hmm. i allow him to show himself to me on his terms etc you know we, as you just to juxtapose that we we like yeah. those five steps because with those five steps we can take control of our of those things that are un out of control and then redirect them and then make that, make that change in our life, reshape, reform, and, and look at our self-sufficiency in that regard. Mm -hmm. It's, it's through that continual reminder. And there's this uh, book by um, Jacques Philippe that Mm -hmm. I, that I love and that I hate called (laughs) uh, searching for how to search for and maintain peace or something along those lines. And it starts off saying, apart from me, you can do nothing quoting the words yeah. of Jesus. Not not some things, not not a couple of things, nothing. And just kind of Nada. owning that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and this, I, I hear from you the same idea of the thing that you can do is realize you can't do. Exactly. Maintain this, the, or not even maintain, because we can't even maintain it. Acknowledge and let go of that fact that you can do nothing and ask for Christ's presence to be made revealed. That's right. We don't like this, and this is where I think the mystery element is really important, because mystery means I don't I don't seek out the answers according to my own agenda, my own time frame, my own pattern, my own uh, path that I want to make for myself. We don't make ourselves as Christians; we are made by Christ, and that means allowing ourselves to enter mysteriously into our own hearts mysteriously into our own sin, into our own resistance against God within the communion of the church. We're never doing this alone, whereby Christ really wants to show us ourselves so that he can redeem us. But that requires a listening and an openness that I think too often we're unwilling to have. Um, I think we give into the devil a little too much on that one. Um, he likes to say, distract, get noise, pray tons of rosaries, not a bad thing. Right. But silence in prayer? Whoa, whoa, dude. No, no, you don't need silence. You're fine. Right. Um, we need this silence is the place of receptivity whereby we enter vulnerably into the presence of Christ more deeply so that he can give us his grace to transform us and say, yeah, apart from me, you can do nothing. You are. As St. John of the Cross likes to say, nada, <laughs> you are nothing, right? right? This is a little outside the book, but uh, it's at the same time, this is the real grace here. It's one of my favorite quotes by Pope Benedict, Joseph Rassinger at the time, um, where he says that our nothingness is the place of communion with Jesus. Hmm. And that we, and we call that sacrament in the language of the church. That's such a beautiful quote from Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, at the time, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger in his book, Call to Communion, Understanding the Church Today. Uh, we're talking today with Father Harrison Eyre, who's a priest of the Diocese of Victoria out in British Columbia, about his new book available with the Daughters of St. Paul, Pauline Books and Media, called Mysterion, the Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. There's so much more to this conversation, but in the meantime, come over and join the ongoing conversation on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. And when we return, we're going to unpack the connection between mystery and sacrament. There's so much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to outside the walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Father Harrison Eyre out of uh, out of beautiful British Columbia, out on Victoria Island. Uh, he's got a brand new book available on Pauline Books and Media called Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. Father Harrison uh, is also the uh, the co-host of Clerically Speaking, a wildly popular podcast that if you've not yet listened to it, uh, it's it's worth a listen. Just search for it in your favorite podcast aggregator and subscribe. And while you're there subscribing to Clerically Speaking, if you didn't know it, you can also subscribe to Outside the Walls. Uh, all of our episodes are archived, so if you miss the broadcast, have no fear. You can grab that by going to OutsideTheWalls.com or going again to your favorite podcast aggregator and subscribing there. Uh, Father Harrison, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. So we um, we are talking about the sacramental worldview and yes. and using this term mysterion, which the church has used for some time. And we, we hear uh, sacrament, and, mm-hmm. and we often don't know that that comes from the Greek word mysterion. It comes That's from right. the same word that we get the word mystery from. The, mm-hmm. the problem is this. We hear mystery, which also comes from this word mysterion, and we associate it back to this, this Scooby-Doo kind of world or Agatha Christie kind of world. The mystery is the thing that you solve. It's the thing mm-hmm. that you go and you, you have something that's curious. You don't understand it. And so you examine it. You look at all the, uh, the various angles. You find the thing that nobody else finds. And voila, you've solved the mystery. And so if we think of mystery in that way and we realize that sacrament and mystery are connected, it can lead us down a path that's not really what the church is giving to us with this question of mystery. So help us understand Mm -hmm. what does the church mean by mystery? Yeah, it's a a very uh, ancient word that uh, St. Paul uses a lot. And it was translated by St. Jerome, as you kind of uh, mentioned there. He meant he translates the Greek word mysterion or if you're i'm not a greek scholar but i've been told the the y is better pronounced as like a u so it's like mysterion um it he translated it with the word sacramentum right Mm -hmm. so for example with one of the more famous uh, phrases in in scripture is ephesians 5 where paul is talking about the analogy between christ's love for his church and a husband's love for his wife and he says this is a great mysterion and I apply it to Christ and his church. Well, St. Jerome would translate that. This is a great sacramentum. This is a great sacrament. And so it's a it's a very deep tradition uh, that, so looking at this word mystery helps us to unveil and understand the, what's, what sacrament means for the Christian. And so the word mystery, I, I, I kind of break it down in the book into four kind of categories. Um, I got this from some of my seminary studies. I don't mention it in the book per se, but uh, Otto Cassell, uh, one of the great liturgical theologians of the early 20th century part of the liturgical movement, kind of breaks it down this way. And, I, and I'm really indebted to his work in this regard. Um, so there's four elements to mystery, right? There's mystery as concealment, as a saving activity, as participation, and as sacrament. So concealment, just in that there is something hidden that is not yet revealed, okay? So we hear about the mysteries of God, God's hidden mysteries, his, 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 his mysterious saving plan. In other words, it's not fully revealed. Um, 
and it's 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 made known in different and many and varied ways as the letter to hebrews likes to say but these last days it's made definitively known through his son so the jesus becomes the the revealer literally the unconcealer of god's mystery that's one element of it that is something that is hidden in god's heart itself the second element is that it's something that saves so it's not just an event that doesn't necessarily involve God, but it's God entering into our history, into creation itself, that when he reveals it, it also at the same time saves. Mm -hmm. This is shown to us definitively in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is the saving event, whereby what is hidden, the Trinity, is revealed definitively in both the cross and in the resurrection. So it's unconcealed, but it's also something that saves. But mystery goes even further than that. It also, it also has an element of participation. It's not just God doing this exterior to us, but actually wanting to involve us, that we participate in his life through these saving activities. These saving activities give us access to the life of God. And that the sacrament and sacramentality becomes the kind of continuation of God's sake of all these things through the life of the church, whereby things are still concealed through visible signs. Mm-hmm. to make present invisible realities that save us by through which we participate in various like liturgical functions just by being members of the church. So that's a very kind of simple overview of that, of like that first chapter, but that's, that is a rough kind of overview of what mystery means that it, it and so it's not something to be rationally figured out as you, as you said, like I've always liked to see it as like a, pu- like people always see like a puzzle to figure out or whatever. Um, but rather it's, it's something that we enter into more and more deeply. Like I've always loved that image from the last, uh, the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, further up and further in, right. right? Where they know it doesn't denigrate anything they experienced before, but they also recognize they're in something fuller now. And it, it, it's, it's inexhaustive because God himself is infinite. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, first of all, go now and do that. Mm-hmm. Even before what you, are you get, doing, even before you read <laughs> Mysterio. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, read that first. Uh, but but getting to that point, uh, the further up and farther in, the more deeply or the further in that they got into that mystery, the more they realized that everything they'd experienced before was yes, real, but less real than that yeah. which they were entering into. And, and in no enough. moment. And in no moment did they have any lack of fullness. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, it's, it's this weird expansion. And it, it's because God's infinite. Right. St. Gregory of Nyssa, I think, brings this point out great in a lot of his theology, that since God's infinite, heaven can't be boring. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Because we're finite creatures. We will never exhaust God. And so there will be always a deeper mystery within the whole realm of eternity to enter into. And the more that we try to... to um kind of visualize what heaven will be. And, you know, we see various, mm-hmm. uh, various ideas. Uh, yeah. It's always going to be based on our finite need. Uh, yeah. And so we talked about this some um, in the last episode that you and I were on with the good place, this idea that, that, oh, well, if heaven is just unlimited, everything that I want, eventually I'm going to get tired of it. That's right. But, but this isn't, what mystery is. This isn't what heaven is. Heaven is our participation in the infinite God, uh, not in our finite appetites. And so it, it, what it does then, mystery then reveals um, 
this is good. This is this, this could have been in the book actually. I didn't put this in there, but um, your listeners are getting good access here. It reveals to us the deeper desire we have, mm-hmm. the fund, the deeper fundamental desire we have for God, that no human created thing ultimately fulfills and eventually does tire us out. We enter into an uh, in, even if it, that was heaven, that would be an eternal ennui. The good place is right, but in that regard, but if we recognize that there's a deeper hunger mm-hmm. in us. Mystery reveals to us this deeper hunger that is always satisfied and yet always wanting more. Yeah. Because God's more. God's infinite. Well, and, and this brings us to, you were saying that that the good and the beautiful point us mm-hmm. to the fact that there has to be more. You know, we, right. we can look at the, we can, if we, if we conceive of true, you know, the good, the beautiful, the true, if we conceive of true as mere fact, uh, yeah. then we can we can say oh well the yes truth is really good and look I've got it because I've I've dissected this and studied and researched um, but beautiful beauty and goodness can't be conceived of in that way and 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 so when we experience true goodness or true beauty uh, whether it's those those commercials that we see that make us tear up around the holiday season and there's some <laughs> glimpse of goodness there that we're like, oh, that's I could use more of that, right? Or yeah. whether it's seeing um, some fantastic piece of artwork or seeing nature in in its in its fullness, um, it brings us to a place where we have to, even if it's just for a split second, acknowledge that there is more than just merely the stuff, the physical, uh, material stuff of the world. Exactly. And, and life is boring if it's just the physical stuff. In fact, it's meaningless and Nietzsche's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're honest with our experience, as long as we're open to those experiences, and it might be just having someone just given us, uh, you know, holding the door for us. Maybe we're having a really bad day and someone just holds the door for us. I'm like, wow, that was such a good thing there. And it, mm-hmm. it, it elicits something in us for something more. That something more is the thing we need to be listening to because it's what God has put on our heart for him. It, it's, it's the seed of his, it's the thing that has not been lost by the fall, that desire for him. And that, that can only be found in Christ who brings God to us so as to lift us up to God. And so we need to listen to that deeper desire again, right? We need to be going into that, which is really hard today because everything is so immediately available to us. Everything is so, um, every desire, we like we really reduce desire to what's in front of us and have stopped being able to listen to our deeper desire. Or when we do listen to it, it creates such an anxiousness in us because we don't know what that is. And it nerves us because it actually upsets so much of what we've built for ourselves. And that's scary. But we need to create spaces and places for people to have those encounters again so that they can come to seek God anew. So in this uh, receptivity, in this place Mm -hmm. of saying, okay, there is more, I'm recognizing it through these glimpses of goodness and truth and, and beauty. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to uh, to strong will myself, quote unquote, mm-hmm. into being uh, receptive and to realizing that mm-hmm. that I don't have enough to bring this about on my own. Yeah. Um, 
one of the in the subtitle here, and I realized that it was named for you, but in the subtitle it talks about the uh, the revelatory power of the sacramental worldview. Yeah. Um, in what ways have you practically not yeah. not as a how to, but in what ways have you practically yeah. experienced something being broken open for you, something revelatory happening to you through this reorienting yourself to the sacramental worldview? Actually, is uh, providentially you're asking this today because when we're recording, uh, the first reading today was for Samuel three, call Samuel, mm-hmm. and uh, that passage has a very special place in my heart because about 18 years ago today, I had a very strong conversion experience where out of nowhere I had this desire to pray. I wasn't going to church. Uh, I had just recently, about eight months ago, received confirmation first communion, stopped going to church the Sunday after. Like I was in university um, and there was nothing trying in my life or anything. I just had this sudden need to pray. And um, I've learned over the years, it's harder and harder to actually talk about the experience itself, but I started to pray out of nowhere. And in this encounter of prayer, I encountered God's love. But after that, uh, the next inspiration was to pick up the Bible and read. And the first thing I fell on was 1 Samuel 3. That was January 8th, uh, 2004, in 2004, so about 18 years ago. And that reading comes up every second year in the cycle on weekday readings. And it comes up every third year on like the second or third Sunday of ordinary time. And um, it's a very special reading to me. And that was a moment where God kind of nudged the heart a bit saying, hey, talk to me. And I did. I, I I cracked the door open. He then broke it open. You know, it, it, like it's like he's just like hello, and he just like pushes in and comes in. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what a one. You know, it's like okay, I've I've got this need to pray, and then you open it up, and it's it's this reading of I'm hearing a voice telling me to pray. Who, what what I what who? <laughs> hey, by the way, there's a deeper reality here that that's beyond what yep. you. That's the whole story of that, of, of saying exactly. hearing the voice of God. There's more here than you know is here. Yeah. Are you willing to say, speak, Lord, your servant is, yeah. is listening? And and I haven't stopped since. You know, I, I went for my first confession a couple weeks later uh, at the behest of my priest and uh, uh, started going to Mass. And it's, you know, it, it obviously has its ups and downs, but I would never leave now because that moment was so vital to me and it taught me that man, if I can just be receptive to God like that more often, look what he can do. So uh, you were you were yeah. uh, raised in the church. You uh, received... Not really. Well, you but you received, you were sacramentalized. Sort of. And you never, it's, it's a bit of a weird story. I was baptized as a baby. I didn't go to church at all growing up. Okay. Uh, when I was in university, this priest who I lived with for a while as a university student, he had a place, he had like a bunch of rooms for university students who were Catholic. It was kind of a vocation house. I didn't quite know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite get it all that. But uh, at his behest, he's like, well, you've never been confirmed or received First Communion. Well, you should do that. So I went to RCA the next year, but it was an intellectual thing. It wasn't, there's yeah. no heart. Oh, it sounds like uh, this yeah. is a Patreon episode just coming right. This okay. is the extra there segment. Go. We, we got to figure it out right here. Uh, the, the book is Mysterion. Uh, the Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview, available right now on Pauline Books and Media or wherever fine books are sold. Uh, get your copy today and read it immediately after you read The Last Battle. But then but then read it. Uh, and, and Father, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. This has been, this has been a lot of fun.
If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Harrison Ayer, maybe you want to go back and listen to it again, catch something you might have missed. Or maybe you want to share this with your friends on social media, someone that you know could really benefit from this. Well, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can click the little uh, the, the three bars up in the top left-hand corner of the page. That'll open up a sidebar that shows you the names of all the guests we've had over the years. Scroll through that. Click the name of the one you want to hear. Uh, Father Harrison is a great one. And there you can listen to all of those episodes on demand as well. You can just kind of peruse through the most recent ones there on that front page and listen to your heart's content. And if you've listened for a while and you still want more, well, I've got great news for you. We produce an extra segment each and every week with our guest, uh, available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. We've got a fantastic support community over at Patreon, and in gratitude for their support, we give them extra content. You can learn more there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says Patreon-support-the-show. Just click that link, follow through, and there you will find a treasure trove of extra segments, uh, including the one this week as we explore together Father Harrison's uh, origin story, as it were. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from Church History. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture and the catechism and the fathers and doctors of the church, as well as ecclesial documents, uh, biblical commentaries, and so much more. Uh, you can learn more by going to verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the responsorial psalm from a couple of days ago. This is Psalm 40. Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. I have waited, waited for the Lord, and he stooped toward me and heard my cry. Blessed the man who makes the Lord his trust, who turns not to idolatry or to those who stray after falsehood. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. Sacrifice or oblation you wished not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Burnt offerings or sin offerings you sought not. Then said I, Behold, I come. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. In the written scroll it is prescribed for me, to do your will, O oh my God, is my delight, and your law is within my heart. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. I announced your justice in the vast assembly. I did not restrain my lips, as you, O oh Lord, know. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. That reading comes from Psalm 40, which was the responsorial psalm just a couple of days ago. And it starts off, the reason that we read this today out of all of the options we had, is where it starts. It starts right where Father Harrison was, was directing us, that place of receptivity. I have waited for the Lord. I wait in silence, and sometimes it's just uncomfortable uh, we we want those quick answers. We want to, to go into prayer with a couple of petitions and immediately feel the presence of God and immediately get our answer. But what God is most after is our receptivity. 
It's our communion with him. It's, it's our getting to the place where we realize that all we really need is his presence and that, that that is enough, that his presence and his grace for us in whatever situation we face, it is enough. We come into these places of prayer sometimes in desperation or trying to figure out all of the right tasks to do or the right ways to, to pray in, in order to get the result that we want, rather than saying, you know, whatever the result is, Lord God, that you give me in this situation and, and through this prayer, your grace in this situation is enough. And even if it's not the answer that I have figured out would would work for my situation, I trust that what you have in this time and for this situation is sufficient and, and is super sufficient, is more than what I need for for my eternal good and for the eternal good of those who are around me in this specific situation. So with the psalmist, we come and we say, I have waited for the Lord, and he stooped toward me and heard my cry. And I make the Lord my trust in all of these situations, and I I don't turn to anything else that I would put before my reliance on God, any kind of idolatry or those who stray after falsehood. When we can say with the psalmist that we come with ears open to obedience that he gave us, and we come with that, that same cry that Mary then cries out, let it be done to me according to thy word, is pretty much the same thing as here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. And if we can say that with the psalmist, we'll be in a place where God draws us into himself, into such deep communion, into the sacramental life in a way that we just can't even fathom now. And I go back to this story a lot. I bring it up on the show a lot because uh, it, it serves as a reminder for me that no matter where I find myself in the spiritual life, there is more. And this is the story of St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the, the most brilliant theologians uh, who much of our doctrine in the church today is based on the work that he did uh, in his lifetime so long ago. And so here he is, this brilliant writer, brilliant theologian. At the end of his life, he says, everything I've written is straw based on what I have seen of God here. Right? Uh, the, the, when, when God asked him, what, what is it that you would have? What is it that you want? And he said, nothing but you, Lord. And when we can get to that place and let everything else fade away, when we can get to that place of receptivity, this is the place where we find our deepest fulfillment. Our reading from church history today comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. For his chosen ones scattered throughout the world, we shall make our constant prayer to the creator of the universe. May he allow none of them to fall away, but preserve them all through his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whom he called us out of darkness into light, out of ignorance to the knowledge of his glorious name. Give us grace, Lord, to hope in your name, to which all creatures owe their being. Open the eyes of our heart to know you alone, the Most High in the highest heavens, the Holy One whose dwelling is in the Holy. You abase the arrogance of the proud, frustrate the designs of the godless, exalt the lowly, and humble the lofty. 
You give men wealth and take it away. You slay them, save them, and give them new life. Alone, the benefactor of spirits and God of all flesh, your gaze penetrates the depths. You observe the doings of men. Helper of those in peril, Savior of those in despair, you created and still keep watch over all that draws breath. You caused the peoples on the earth to multiply, and from them all chose those who love you through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Through him, you have instructed us, sanctified us, honored us. Lord, we entreat you to help us. Come to the aid of the afflicted. Pity the lowly. Raise up the fallen. Show your face to the needy. Heal the sick. Convert the wayward. Feed the hungry. Deliver the captives. Support the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted. Let all nations know that you alone are God. Jesus Christ is your Son, and we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Lord, you created the world according to the eternal decree now revealed in your works. Faithful throughout all generations, you are just in judgment, wonderful in power and majesty. You formed your creation with wisdom, established it with prudence. Everything we see proclaims your goodness. You are kind and compassionate and never fail those who put their trust in you. Forgive us for our failings and for our sins. Do not hold all the transgressions of your servants against them, but purify us by your truth. And so guide our footsteps that by walking in holiness and justice and simplicity of heart, we may do what is good and pleasing in your sight and in the sight of our leaders. Lord, let the light of your face shine upon us so that we may enjoy your blessings in peace, protected by your strong hand and freed from all sin by your outstretched arm, and deliver us from those who hate us unjustly. Give peace and concord to us and to all mankind, even as you gave it to our ancestors when they devoutly called upon you in faith and truth. Lord, you alone are able to bestow these and even greater benefits upon us. We praise you through Jesus Christ, our High Priest, and the champion of our souls. Through him be glory and majesty to you, now and throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from the letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. And that reading, just all of the readings here in this first week of Ordinary Time are just beautiful and impactful and reminders in some way that even as we seek to grow in our relationship with Christ, even as we seek to grow in the spiritual life, we are dependent. We have to be in this place of receptivity because God is the one through whom all things hold together. And without Christ, we can do nothing. And so let's make that our prayer this week, that God would preserve us, help us to grow, that we can then echo the words of the psalmist, here we are, Lord, we come to do your will. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. 
Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.